Hello and welcome to the first Big Boss Battle, Big Boss Babble. I'm Dan and I'm here tonight with Matt. Hello guys. Terry. Hello there. Toby. Greetings. And George. Hello. And we've got a, a variety of topics to talk about today. Actually, we're going to talk about the Doom board game, uh, Fortnite, emulation as a topic, player unknown battlegrounds, uh, Battlestar Galactica Deadlock, which I believe Toby's just done a preview of, that may be live about now, and then George is going to talk a bit about Sundered uh, and the difficulty of modern games. So to start us off uh, will be Matt talking about the Doom board game that he's recently reviewed for the site. So uh, take it away, Matt. Sure, no problem. Um, yeah, so I, I did recently review the Doom board game and... Um... Basically, it's a dungeon crawling game in the mold of, I guess, uh, Descent initially, but um, that Descent mold from Fantasy Flight Games has spawned numerous similar games, Star Wars Imperial Assault, uh, Mansions of Madness technically, and obviously Doom. Um, And what uh, Fantasy Flight tend to do is put lots of really good miniatures in the box um, use a modular board system and then they adapt their core rules using cards, tokens, different kinds of dice to create different outcomes. And um, as you'll see in my written review, um, I don't want to give it all away, but basically uh, I think they've done an incredible job in making Doom the board game actually feel like Doom the 2016 computer game, which I think is particularly spectacular because it is a board game and Doom, the video game, is so visceral, so brutal, so fast-paced that uh, I just, you know, if I was going to make a board game of it, I probably wouldn't have even tried to emulate it. I would probably have tried to do something completely different. And yet, just using cards, dice, um, and miniatures on a board, they've managed to make a game that really feels authentic. When you say it feels authentic... Uh, and that the you know the game's obviously quite fast paced like the original was it's a little bit more vertical there's all of the kind of uh the brutal finisher kills how does that translate over to the board game um yeah i mean that is what's that's actually what's great about the board game so um the brutal finishers the glory kills they're actually in the game uh, and they feel very much like they feel in the video game and and this is why i was quite surprised they've managed to achieve that so uh, i mean without getting into all the systems you've kind of got this situation where you have up to four Marines um, and you have a player called the Invader. So it's the classic, um, you know, team of up to four good guys versus one person who plays all the baddies. Um, And so the balancing there is that if you've only got one player, the Marine gets certain perks, whereas if you've got two to three players, they get different perks. And if you've got all four Marines, you basically get no perks um, because you've got a lot more firepower. And the game uses a card-based initiative system to decide the playing order um, on each turn. So it's completely randomized each turn. And you might have a situation where, um, you know, one turn ends with the invader taking a couple of turns, doing a couple of really heavy attacks. And then the next turn uh, is randomized again, and the invader might attack again immediately. So the the kind of push and pull of combat is never absolutely certain. Uh, And this leads to a situation where the Marines and Vader really using some of the troops, particularly imps, uh, are forced to kind of jump in and out of combat in a way that I don't think I've ever seen in a, a board game, really. Um, the only board game I have played that feels anywhere similar to that is Conan, uh, and that's because of the fatigue system there. So, you know, you've got this 
this gameplay really in Doom where you can uh, use a card to generate an amount of movement points. You can charge up to a Baron of Hell. You can blast him with a super shotgun if you've got the cards in hand to do so. And then if you move into the same space as him using your remaining movement points, um, once he's reached a stagger value, which is a certain amount of damage, you will automatically glory kill him by being on his space. That will allow you to increase your health and draw a glory kill card. And that glory kill card might grant you more health or it might give you a boost to your attack. And again, if you've got more cards in hand that you can play, which depends on what they say, whether they're primary attacks or secondary, um, you can just keep chaining these attacks together. So you get these legitimate situations where um, a marine that's attack- equipped with a chainsaw, for example, could literally run up to a demon, damage it severely using the buff that the chainsaw gives to reducing the stagger value, instantly uh, glory kill it, redeem your health, jump to the next one, chainsaw that one. And this kind of chained attack stuff kind of works really organically in the game and it happens every single turn. And in response, the demons have these massive attacks where they're rolling four or five or six dice using um, a power-up feature called Argent Power. So it's just a really, really visceral combat-focused experience. And if the Marines die, they just respawn exactly as they do in the um, video game and the overlord player just gets a frag token and the overlord's objective is actually just to get frag tokens so everything about the game is really focused on bringing the two sides together in combat and when that happens it's genuinely exciting and very very interesting that sounds absolutely amazing to be honest i mean if you're playing as as the invaders the enemies is this kind of like a, a do they have a, an infinite amount of spawns or is it sort of, as you say, it's a modular board system. Is it each particular board's got a particular setup of enemies on it or how does that work? So there's a, there's actually two answers to that. So um, you can actually do, um, there's two campaigns, basically there's two uh, campaigns of six missions, which um, for the history buffs among us starts off with a campaign or a mission called Knee Deep in the Dead, which I thought was quite good. Uh, harking back to the original Doom. And um, you can play through those 12 scenarios. Um, but if you do, you still, don't play, you still don't come up against a completely fixed set of invaders. Um, so take Descent, for example. You know, the enemies in Descent pretty much are, are always the same unless the Dungeon Master decides to change them. In Doom, you've actually got a spawn mechanic that the invader can influence. So what basically happens is you have these spawn tokens in certain places and when the Marines make line of sight with those spawn tokens, you flip them over and they've each got a set colour. So yellow, blue or red, I think, are the three colours. And at the start of the game, the invader has a, um, a particular card that gives him an option on each of these different coloured tokens. So, for example, if you flip a yellow token, um, you might have a choice between two pinky demons and two imps or one Baron of Hell and one Keiko Demon plus an Argent Power, for example. So the invader gets to make a decision about, you know, do do I want more smaller invader demons that can kind of hit and run, for example, or do I, you know, I can send the pinkies in to do some direct damage and I can use the imps to hit and run, or do I actually just want to go for the big boys and send in the Baron of Hell and the Keiko Demon? Um, So it's absolutely, you know, there there is only a finite number of situations that can occur, but it's still a lot more interesting than, um, you know, just having an absolute set 
enemy pattern. Um, and it is more interesting to play as the invader as a result of that. And beyond that, you can just kind of, um, the, the game has rules for a kind of horde mode where you just have, you know, the potential for score attack type games. It's also a game that, um, I mean, I don't have time really for because I just don't play enough board games um, for a long enough amount of time to really learn how to dungeon master them properly. But uh, this is the kind of, you know, again, like Descent, this game gives you a toolkit to do that um, like no other, really. You know, you could create potentially infinite Doom levels by using the modular board and by using the spawn mechanic. Um, and the, the game includes full rules for doing so, should you be inclined. So again, kind of infinite value for money, even beyond the 12 scenarios, which is, you know, 12 scenarios is not stingy. Uh, I think Conan, for example, which I just compared it to, only came with six or eight out of the box. So, you know, it's sort of 50 to 33% more value for money, if you will. And it is amazing to answer that sort of initial point. It's um, it's a really, really good board game. I really, it's probably straight into my, uh, probably the best board game I've played this year. And, you know, bear in mind, it's a, it's a year old game. I should really played it last year, but it's straight into my top few games of this year for sure. And, um, yeah, I absolutely recommend it. It's, it's fantastic. I would say kids won't like it because some of the artwork is, you know, it's Doom. Uh, and the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the cards are pretty brutal. Both my, my, my boys have played the new Doom. They're, they're not fussed by any of that kind of <laughs> visuals. <laughs> so. You said, obviously, if, if the Marines die, they just respawn. Um, is that just is that like games are now? So there's infinite respawn. So there's no sort of win state for the invaders. Yeah, so the um, the win state for the invader is actually Marines. Um, so with one Marine, I mentioned earlier that the lower the number of Marines, the more perks they get. Yeah. Uh, and if you're at one Marine, the Marine will have um, 15 health instead of 10. And if I remember correctly, you also get a card that allows you to increase your action card hand from the default of three to four. And the number of action cards you can hold relates to what I was saying earlier. Uh, chaining cards together and you know going through a big killing spree by basically dropping your entire hand if you're able to do so. So a, a single marine is quite hard to kill and quite powerful because as long as they can keep getting glory kills, their health will keep going up. Uh, and most levels have got health packs on them anyway. So at one marine, uh, the invader automatically wins if they get four frags. So they kill that marine four times, they get four, um, they, they win. I think if I remember correctly, at four marines, it's uh, six frags that is required by the invader. Because um, you can kill a marine in one turn um, with a uh, you know with a big demon attack, potentially with only 10 health. And actually, this one thing to probably just cover really quickly, because I didn't mention it before, is that the armor system is really interesting as well. So if you roll... You know, you roll your massive attack, and let's say I roll five hits. The way that um, those hits become wounds, the way that's resolved is by the Marine or the Invader drawing cards from the top of their action deck, which is the same deck that they use to make attacks. And you look at some symbols in the top right-hand corner, um, and if there's shields there, each of those shields removes one of the damage that was rolled. If there's a little symbol, um, it's kind of a crazy little symbol, it looks a bit like an hourglass, that's a dodge, which automatically dodges all of the attacks. And then there are some of the special scenarios cards. And I think, you know, I said earlier, this is kind of a, it's a derivative of Descent, um, which is quite an old game. And what Final, uh, Fantasy Flight do is they really do a good job of kind of 
making this toolkit work in different scenarios. And although I think if they'd have built this game from the ground up, from absolutely fresh, they could have probably taken away one or two different decks of cards and made it just a tiny bit slicker. Um, what they have still done is by using that one deck of action cards to do multiple things, you know, it, it deals with attacks and it deals with um, resolving damage or defending as well. They have taken away at least one mechanic and they've introduced a, an interesting element of randomness. You know, it's not a dice roll, it's something different. It incentivizes you to build your deck in a different way. Um, and you do have some optionality about that in relation to uh, which weapon sets you put in your deck and which are more defensive weapons versus uh, offensive weapons. For example, the chainsaw is heavily focused on offense and some of the tactical rifles are, you know, they're still pretty offensive, but they're, they're, they're a bit better at defense as well. So, you know, it's it's I just quite liked the way that they managed to create a game that did feel so authentic despite using this kind of uh, system, if you will. It's a, you know, in, in video gaming terms, it's a bit like saying, um, it's a bit like someone starting with an Unreal Engine, for example, and deciding whether or not it's fit for purpose and actually saying, yeah, we can work with this and then building it to the point where it's actually, uh, you know, completely unrecognizable versus the original Unreal that that engine was built for. If If you follow the logic there. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Does the new one have any relation to the the older one that came out? I think around the time Doom Three came out, there was a board game as well. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's a totally different game, um, but it's made. Uh, in fact, I, want, I was just about to say it's made by Fantasy Flight, but I'm not actually sure if that's true or not. I think it might have been a Fantasy Flight game, but Fantasy Flight back in two thousand and three, two thousand and four, very different to how they are now. Um, so you know, since they're kind of, I'd say Fantasy Flight now are actually the premier miniatures based game manufacturer out there you know there's no one else making games in this style in this frequency with this level of reliability aside from probably games workshop and yet um you know because of the price point and the quality of fantasy flight games it's arguable that they have put the sword to warhammer for example you know because that's not the way people want to play and nobody wants to spend twenty eight thousand pounds on an army now i think i traded my warhammer in for a car i think or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's um, yeah, it's a, the, the original or the the two thousand. I think it's two thousand three, two thousand four. Doom uh, is very different. Um, but this isn't called second edition or anything like that. It is a distinctly different game, marketed differently with exactly the same name. So there is a point there, which is if you are going to rush out and buy this for anybody, don't pick up the wrong one, even if it is 20 quid, because it's it's the wrong one for a reason. Spend the 50 or 55, 60 quid, whatever it is for the 2016 version, because it is a, it really is a very good game. Uh, and I, I recommend it as a game that a video gamer could walk straight into without ever playing another board game, understand it and like it. You know, once you get the hang of it, there's a tutorial mission right in the box as a whole there's three manuals. The first manual is just a uh, tutorial mission and a quick start guide, and it just says ignore the rest of the rules, play this mission, do what we tell you to do, and you'll know how to play the game. And by the end of that tutorial mission, uh, we'd set it up in 15 minutes, and by the end of the mission, we were taking probably less than 20 seconds a turn. And those turns might include the, you know, the butchering of several demons, the glory killing of several, the drawing of all the cards, the uh, create a setup of the initiative phase, etc., etc. You know, it really does fly once you get used to it, and it doesn't take long to get used to. It. One thing I noticed is I was looking at your article. It looks like those figurines are really awesomely detailed. What kind of material are they made? Of? Like, could you paint them? Because they look really, really neat. 
Sure. Actually, that is a really good point and um, something that uh, is worth talking about against other Fantasy Flight games because um, Fantasy Flight make good miniatures up to a good standard and yet they're not as good as the Games Workshop uh, miniatures of old. And I think that's part of why uh, you know the price point is a bit lower, even though the standard is good enough. That's not the case with Doom. With Doom, the standard of the miniatures is absolutely exceptional. And I think that's probably the light you know when you look at the box for this game you've got id software on there you've got bethesda as well i suspect they have forced the miniatures to be produced at a certain quality and the detail is spectacular i mean the the cyber demon is probably four or five inches high it probably weighs a good couple of hundred grams comes in three parts that just push together uh, and it's a really big terrifying prospect to face in the game and um you know, similar really for things like Keiko Demons, you know, they're just fantastic sculpts. Even the imps, everything's so dynamic, you know, everything looks like it's in battle. I think the only downside is probably the Marines, which, um, again, I've kind of given them the benefit of the doubt. They kind of look a bit generic, and I do think that's intentional because it kind of fits with the theme of uh, Marines not being important, Marines being fraggable and respawnable. Um, but even, even so, two of them have very similar looking guns and postures. And there's no um, visual distinction between them in terms of a coloured base or anything. So, you know, if you've got four people playing, it would be potentially easy for them to miss which of their Marines was correct. Although that didn't happen to me, I could see how it could happen. Awesome. It'd be interesting to know whether ID ID slash Bethesda gave them access to the original 3D models to create the miniatures from. Do you think that could possibly be the case? well it is possible i think um you know i'm getting into the uh, you know the realms of speculation a little bit but the the quality of the plastic is different to most of the fantasy flight games what what is usually a problem with fantasy flight is that weapons are very droopy um, they sort of bend and you have to you have to warm them up with um warm water and kind of bend them back into shape um now in doom the plastic's a little bit harder um it's a different color for the marines and the demons and you know it, it kind of you know, there is a there is a possibility they were created in a different way. The Keiko demons look like they're made from several parts that have been glued together in manufacturing. So you don't glue them together yourselves, but, but they do look like they might have been. Um, similarly, they all come based as well, so there's no need to base them. So it, it does look to me as though there's a different manufacturing process in place for Doom than there is for other Fantasy Flight games. But I am just kind of speculating. And yet, you know, there's a bit of evidence for you. It's a conspiracy theory that's, you know, to the benefit of the consumer on this occasion. No, it does it does sound like a, a fun little game. I mean I've I've not really played any decent board games in in years since the friends I used to play with moved away. But if I was ever to get back into it, it would be something like something like this that I'd get into because just games mm. video games. It's Doom. You know? <laughs> it is. And it and it it really is Doom as well. That's the great thing about it. You can play with two players or five and it works with all of those numbers uh, or you can play with two players controlling all, you know, and the, the, the Marine player could take all of the Marines, for example, and just control them as a squad. You know, there's loads of different ways you can play it and they're all good fun. Yeah. I remember, I remember me and my friends doing a, doing two player hero quest like that. One was the master and one played all four of the other characters. It always worked out quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I used to do the same. <laughs> yeah. That's probably how I'd play it today if I was playing it to be honest, because, um, you know, hero quest looks great and it, you know, the kids don't want to play that nowadays, usually. It's kind of very, very basic, isn't it? That's, uh, 
I've got a lot of good memories of it, that's for sure. If I, if I hadn't played Hero Quest and Space Crusade, I wouldn't be playing um, Doom today. I mean, I was very impressed with the pictures uh, that I saw of the of the game. I really like the, the quality of the pieces. Do you think this kind of system would work with other games? I mean, Doom's Doom's pretty much well. It's a it was a corridor shooter, wasn't it? Very much. So I mean, it, it suits this down to the ground. But I can't think of much else that would tie in well to that. Possibly a Warhammer game, but we don't talk about that in relation to anyone other than uh, <laughs> games work. Yeah. Do we? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, well, you know, the thing is. It, it, it has worked for, uh, you know, Star Wars Imperial Assault, for example. That's a very popular game, which is um, actually uh, a bit more complex than the Doom interpretation of the Descent mold, if you will. Uh, and the other game I've played uh, like that is Mansions of Madness, which, you know, without kind of getting into a whole other topic about other games, Mansions of Madness actually has some really, really powerful mechanics in it to the point where the game I played lasted about three hours and it ended with an ent- the entire mansion um, catching fire around about the middle and um, half the survivors being trapped on one side and or investigators rather they are in Manchester Madness half were trapped on one side and half were trapped on the other and the cultists the uh, Cthulhu demons and the investigators were all burned and or unable to escape from the um, from the house and so with that kind of temp- you know this is the same template basically um, just with different things being allowed to happen within the rule set provided uh, in that game, you know, as the dungeon master, I simply had to create different scenarios on the fly to enable anyone to win because we were all going to die. Um, so, you know, it's a very powerful tool set. People are doing lots of really smart things with it, certainly much, much further beyond than what I would uh, be able to do with it. But I think it's a, it's transferable potentially to other video games with relatively small tweaks. And I think what you'd end up with more often than not is something in between uh, Imperial Assault and Doom. Because the the glory kill and the speed mechanics used for Doom probably aren't that relevant to many computer games, um, but some of the kind of more hit, you know the the Imperial Assault angle is everyone's a hit or many people are heroes. So, for example, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker have very different skills, and there are some generic troops as well on both sides. So that's where the focus is in, in Imperial Assault, um, whereas clearly in Doom. You know, the Marines are all generic and the, um, I guess if anything, the real, the combat nuance in Doom comes from which weapons you've got selected because that drives your action cards and that drives your behavior. So yeah, it's a very powerful model and I'd love to see it used for the computer games. I, w- I wouldn't like to suggest one, but many that would um, would work really well. You know, things like, for example, Stalker, you know, you could take that horror theme, you could take some of the Mansions of Madness features, um, and you could make the survivor, again, for lack of a better term, much more vulnerable in that kind of model. Um, and you could bring in some of the investigative and searching mechanics from mansions and you create a whole other kind of rule set. But I think, I think again, the fantasy flight angle would be that they would only look at games that they know would make them money. That's the key thing. They are a profitable organisation that looks first and foremost to stay profitable. It's not, um, you know, a bloke in his basement making things because he loves them. It's an organisation there to do the best they can. So, you know, Fallout might be a better example of something that they would pick up, particularly because, you know, they've got Doom, so they've got a Bethesda relationship. And yet at the same time, uh, Doom never attracted an expansion pack. Uh, I don't, you know, although it was critically considered to be quite good last year, it isn't in any top 10 lists. No one cares deeply about it, apart from possibly me. Um, you know, and no one's rushing out to buy it. So I do wonder if 
it's uh, you know it, it's had the rough end of the um, you know the rough end of the kind of board game trend really, which is probably more for you know Euro games uh, and and I guess you know although it's a cooperative shooter, it, it's also extremely direct. Uh, you know, and maybe that fantasy flight mold uh, does put some more hardcore games off because clearly Conan was a commercial success. Uh, and even though the two games feel a little bit similar to play, um, you know, Conan continues to sell out hotcakes and was, you know, you couldn't get it for a long time. And a lot of people are saying it was one of the best games of 2016. Doom is kind of as good as far as I'm concerned. I actually like the theme of Conan a bit more. Um, I like the bigger boards. I like the bigger um, range of miniatures. And yet, you know, if I wanted to just, if someone came around to my house and said, I want to play a game that's a bit like a video game and I've got an hour, I would never wheel out Conan because you can be chopping up baddies for two hours in Conan and, you you know, it can be more complicated to explain. I think Doom, you can you can get a game going in 15 minutes, as I said earlier, and you can finish in easily under an hour. That's absolutely outstanding praise, really. I don't think you could have said much nicer about that, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess we'll, we'll call it there with uh, with the Doom board game. And next topic's yours, anyhow. You've been playing Fortnite recently, uh, which which launched and actually did surprisingly well. This uh, it was originally somewhat of a it was announced what five years ago, maybe more than that, when it was quite a <laughs> yeah. fresh idea. But it's it's still done quite well over its launch weekend. It got half a million users, uh, which is extremely impressive considering it literally crept out, or it, it seemed like it crept out. But but yeah, go on, tell us about Fortnite a little bit. Yeah, sure. Now, I think I've probably spent less time with Fortnite than lots of people will. So I guess it's more, you know, what I have done is form some impressions of it. And I think um, I've been playing it for, I think, about 10 hours. Um, so it's, you know, with this game, I expect it to change quite materially over probably the first few months. And then there'll be other, you know, fairly major patches for the next, however long the game is interesting for. But what really struck out at me right from the start is, this is like the biggest pick and mix of the all-star shooter games you could ever imagine. I mean, I think I could probably just say about 20 different games and they're all in there. I picked up Time Splitters. It looks like Plants vs. Zombies. It feels like Plants vs. Zombies. You've got a resource um, gathering element. You've got a Minecraft kind of feel to some of that stuff. You've got a, a very light crafting element. You've got the most heinous... Um, inventory and base building management screen thing that i've ever seen it's got a tree that's bigger than final fantasy 12 um which you know i haven't i've got no idea what's happening in parts of you know you're building teams to do this and that and the other but you don't know why at the start i got the founders edition and it came with more loot boxes than i've ever seen in my life in any game and there's a fast forward button when you open your loot boxes which are pinatas um, in this game. There's also loot boxes, but pinatas are the main thing that you get. And you can hold down X to fast forward through them. I think I probably got 30. And it took an hour just opening loot boxes. And after I'd done that, I wish I hadn't because I had so much stuff. Schematics, resources, guns, traps. You know, So you've got this crazy, crazy mishmash of stuff happening. And, and, and then you get in game, you do your resource gathering, um, you press an objective button, um, and usually the missions are quite good fun. So you're not just kind of use you're not in a generic level. You are usually trying to do something that has a bit of a story around it. So, you know, an early mission is um, you've got to activate a kind of sky laser thing, um, which I can't remember the name of. Another one is you have to get to this guy's um, 
kind of mobile home, press a button, activate that. that I think that's the first and second mission. And when you do that, um, you kind of get a, a bit of a countdown where you have to build a base around these objectives and everybody gets together and does that. And the base building is very simple. It's very reminiscent of Fallout 4, but simplified. Um, and then once you build it, these hordes start to attack you and then you get into this plants vs. zombies kind of mode. Um, so, you know, state of decay feels like it's in there as well. It really is this massive hybrid and it, it starts off in-game really, really gently. Uh, I still don't think I've died or seen anyone die 10 hours in and I am told it gets brutally hard later. And I've seen videos where people have got these multi, like massive 20-story buildings um, you know, with all kinds of automated weapons on them. I'm nowhere near that yet. I think the highest I've been in any game is kind of three stories with a nice balcony. And we only added the balcony because the enemies posed no threat whatsoever. So I think you know, I've been talking a lot about templates in the Doom review. Um, and I feel like there's a really, really good core game in Fortnite, um, but I don't think I've yet seen it. And I think that might be why it's getting some average reviews because people are kind of going, what exactly is this? Why am I doing these things? You know, why is, why do I have unlimited time to gather resources? Why is there not pressure? You know, why, you know, kind of why are, why are some of these, um, you know, why, are, why have some of these decisions been made, I guess? Um, so I'm really, I'm really positive about the future of it, but I really don't know where it's going to go. I keep my eyes on it because I think, I think it could be one of my favourite online shooters because it's so light and it's so fun. And there's lots of things that make me want to play it, and yet at the same time, I never want to go through that menu system again. And I, I don't have enough, um, I don't have enough brain capacity to reserve space to understand it. So you know, a real mixed bag, literally, and you know, in terms of the things that have influenced it. It's, uh, it sounds very different than the uh, the game that I first heard of, which uh, you kind of referenced while you were talking just then, which was a game where you would literally, during the day, run around like maniacs, ripping things apart, rebuilding your, or building up your base. I don't think I even heard about these things. I think there was just this one trailer when it was first leaked or announced, and it was just some people, yeah, a variety of people going around, ripping a place up, bolting it onto something, and then holding you know, holding the fault, as it were, against another wave of zombies. And so it sounds it sounds completely different now. It almost sounds like somebody's tried to build a, a crafting wave survival game into Borderlands. Yeah, so Borderlands is another uh, influence I think is there, except for that I don't think I've seen any weapon randomization as such. When you create something from a schematic, it can get a range of values, but it's not quite as wacky as Borderlands, although it's definitely, you know, they definitely have played Borderlands, there's no doubt about that. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, it's so, so far I haven't felt any real pressure to get past the resource gathering element. And I, you kind of have some missions that say you must complete, you get a bonus if you complete the mission within one day. And yet mm, it doesn't really matter if you don't, you can kind of, you can kind of gather resources all day and all night. And then all is someone gets bored and pushes the button and just kind of forces the issue. And I'm a hundred percent certain that missions later, um, in the game will feature more impetus and they will drive you forwards and you'll get less time to build and stuff like that. Um, but right now it feels pretty relaxed and it feels like actually one of the most fun bits is the resource gathering because it's almost like a, um, I don't want to say it's a forex game because it's not, um, but you do have to explore the area you're in. You have to figure out where the resources are and the resources are persistent from one level to the next as well. 
So one thing I might not yet have felt the benefit of is, is it worth grinding uh, easier missions to get better resources or rather to get resources at a fundamental level for your later missions where perhaps there is more impetus, less time, more pressure, you know, you need a bigger base, whatever the reason might be. Um, and I haven't felt the benefit of that yet one way or the other, but, uh, you know, that, that kind of feature has to be there for a reason. Um, and I, I would be curious, you know, I'd be interested to see really how that pans out because, um, it doesn't feel like a game I want to grind much. I want to, I kind of want to experience each of the missions a few times and be repeating the same one over and over again. Um, although they do interest me, they're kind of, you know, once you've kind of seen it, you've seen it. Uh, and you don't want to see it again for maybe five or ten, you know, missions until it kind of comes back round. But yeah, it really is a very strange game. Uh, it genuinely isn't like anything I've ever played because it's so like everything I've ever played, smashed together and fired out of a cannon at a wall. And some bits have survived that experience and some bits haven't. So it's really, really strange. Uh, and it also feels a bit like on that grindy angle. Um, if you didn't get all the loot that I got for the Founders Edition, I think you'd be getting a very different experience. You know, re realistically, you know, I've got guns now that just blow everything apart and I don't know whether or not um, the game would be materially harder if you just had the gun that you'd made from bits of scrap. But bear in mind, everyone's got the Founders Edition so far. So there are no players that don't have that level of firepower. And I wonder if that'll just balance itself out over the next few weeks. I mean, what it I was going to ask... Sorry about that. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of um, what was that last game that came out? Was what the hunters and the big monster? I forget what it was called, but it just seems like it has like a varying level amounts of price ranges here, and it just seems like it could be very a game that could be very DLC heavy. And I kind of I'm kind of looking at it a little bit hesitant when I'm looking at this game. Yeah, it's definitely um, it's definitely got the potential to be DLC heavy. I, I inherently distrust it, which might be the same thing you're saying in a different way. Um, you know, the amount of loot that it chucks at you, uh, you know, it clearly incentivizes you to get some of that quicker. Um, as I say, I don't know how it would feel if you didn't have it, but having it makes it probably a little bit too easy. Um, there's a lot of characters it's trying to get you to get interested in. You know, you've got, they're, they're categorized on cards. So you've got common survivors, you've got common commandos, you've got elite medics, and they all go into these little teams that are managed through this bonkers um, home base inventory screen that I was talking about. And again, the full weight of those um, defender teams is kind of unknown to me to a certain extent at the moment. Um, but, you know, and to that point, I don't know if I care about whether or not I've got common commandos or elite ones, but there definitely will be people out there who want fully elite teams across the board because of whatever long-term benefits that starts to bring to you. And to do that, I think you're into FIFA ultimate team levels of buying cards, loot, you know, loot randomization. Oh, maybe you get an elite one, one in 10 packs. Maybe you just get gold ones. Maybe you get guaranteed gold ones. Maybe if you buy packs this weekend, you get more stuff. You know, maybe you buy one, you're going free. Um, but the main thing is they're definitely trying to squeeze some money out of people. No doubt. And that does uh, that does upset me a little bit, yeah. and I do inherently distrust those models. So it, again, it'd be interesting to see which bits become free DLC levels. I suspect will be, you know, new new areas. I think will probably be uh, included because I think they'll lose the player count if they don't do that. Um, but anything else, I think they'll try and charge people for new. You know, I mean, they're already charging for characters, 
So, yeah, uh, that's definitely their plan, I think. All right. <laughs> there you go. Has anyone got a question? No, you go, go ahead, for sir. It. Oh, cool. I was going to say, you mentioned resources and you mentioned a kind of uh, crazy, uh, was it kind of a skill or a building tree almost that, that you could uh, yes. you could yeah. build up? But But then obviously, because there isn't that time limit there, are there different kind of tiers of resources that you gather? Um, so the skill tree is um, is kind of outside mission. So it's not um, you know it's not it's not like for example, um, I'm trying to think of another relevant example. Like, take for example a MOBA where you would actually develop your character in the actual battle, and you could follow one skill tree or another, and you could become a tank or a defender or whatever role you wanted. It doesn't really work like that. You just uh, level up in between missions um but that's that's not even scratching the surface um you level up everything weapons schematics people that you can control people that you can't control your home base your ability to have bigger teams um and in terms of rare items um certainly in the kind of the crafted tier there are absolutely different uh, qualities of output. There are absolutely different results that you can kind of roll when you do craft something. So, again, that's quite a deep system from the looks of it. That I haven't explored much detail, but you know, if you make a weapon, you might get a six damage weapon, or you might get an eight damage weapon, and there'll be some variable that controls that. Uh, I haven't seen anything particularly that um, deals with the better the quality of the components going in, the better the output. But certainly, you do need more complex components to create more complex weapons. So, for example, you know, wood, stone, and steel are kind of the basic things that you use for base building. Um, but then, when you start getting into things like traps, you have to start finding like um, nuts and bolts is one example that you find quite commonly on cars, but it's still not as common as wood, stone, and uh, metal. And then you kind of get into other things like lenses to get, you know, lasers, for example. So, um, and I'm probably making some of that up. I'm kind of, well, I'm certainly not making it nuts and bolts, but I might be on lenses. It, it, but it is that kind of approach where you have this sort of basically not a, not a huge amount of different things to go after. And yet at the core component level, it's quite simple. And then it gets much, com- much more complex as you go through the different tiers. Because once you've, <laughs> to, to add another layer of complexity to this whole stat screen and all the craziness that's, that happens between missions, you can combine schematics to make better schematics. And it's, it's all very, very confusing. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, it, you can get through it. It just will take a lot of time. Cool. Well, yeah. So Fortnite, it turns out, is about a million times deeper and ver- more varied than I actually kind of thought it was going to yeah. be and and I kind of thought it was going to be a really good thing and 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 it 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 just sounds like they've literally gone well what if you could customize what if you could level this up what if what if you could have a pet dog what if you could level up your pet dog what if you could turn your pet dog into a tank what if you could level up your dog that's now a tank so I mean it certainly sounds like there's a lot there whether that turns out as a good kind of long-term business plan I guess we'll we'll have to see really Hold on, that yeah. dog that turns into a tank sounds like a great million dollar idea. I just want to say that right now. <laughs> it's that's what, well, I was going to say a completely unrelated reference, but we did just talk about a pet dog that you can get in uh, Dead of Winter, which is a board game I'll be reviewing fairly soon, and what possibilities that has. So, you know, maybe that's a uh, maybe there's a meta theme there about dogs transforming into more interesting. Uh, <laughs> kinds of uh, companion, but I mean, my you know, to go back to what you were saying, Dan, I'd say 
don't sink 50 quid into it now. Keep an eye on it. Because actually, with the level of depth that's possible and the fact that the core gameplay is pretty good, um, you know, you, there are definitely worse online shooters you could buy right now. And yet, many of those don't have the possibility of improving, whereas Fortnite most certainly does. I'm very curious to see how it evolves into a, a PvP-style game, especially with, you know, the fact that you can kind of buy these pinatas. I mean, I know it's pr- primarily going to be player versus environment, but they're going to have that PvP aspect to it. And I'm kind of serious how they're going to handle that with their transactions and all that kind of stuff. Yes, and I think, you know, again, um, the, the thing that I think maybe makes me like Fortnite um, a little bit more than I probably should is because... A lot of it is a lot of it feels like that game you always wanted to make, but you just can't because you're not a game designer. Um, and they've kind of gone, ah, let's chuck all this good stuff in there. And the best thing I can imagine is I've made my own base with my own three friends, and you've made your own base with your three friends after a period of crafting where there was no pressure to um, move forwards, really. And we've both got our perfect bases, and now we're going to use these massively overpowered weapons to blow each other's bases up with some kind of objective. That's like my dream. You know, when I was playing Goldeneye on the N64, and I was telling three of my friends to camp out in the facility toilets and just use pistols, and I would attack them with a laser, and other different these other different kinds of ways that we used to play time splitters, for example. Um, that's possibly just a reality in Fortnite. And yet it's not quite there yet. Yeah, it's very close, but it's not there. So, you know, it gets kind of it gets kind of three eight, three and a half out of five ish from me or six, maybe seven out of ten. It's kind of on the top side of average, but it's it's still got some work to do. How how close is it to being done? I mean, is it's still a development, right? Um, I think they released it today in the UK. Um so oh, okay. correct me if I'm wrong. Um so that's why I say everybody so far has been a founders edition person because that you know it was kind of like an I guess a a retail beta might be one way to call it. You know, you could buy it, but you knew you were entering into a beta. Now they're selling box copies, they're calling it a finished game, and yet, you know, it's an online shooter, it's never gonna be finished really. It'll be they'll keep developing it as long as people keep playing it. Holy cow, that did come out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I didn't Jeez, please. Yeah. It's, I think it's been in the... I think this founder's kind of period has been, I think, two weeks, maybe longer. But I've, I've had it for about uh, a week, I think. The one thing I've, I've kind of enjoying is by watching videos about Fortnite, and I keep seeing these people build giant staircases into the sky, <laughs> and then somebody just comes along and just takes out that bottom step, and they just start deconstructing slowly but surely and fall to their deaths. <laughs> Yeah, well, you and me both, and that's um, that's that's the dream state in Fortnite, really. That's where you want to get to. Um, and like I say, I haven't really seen that in an actual combat mission, and yet, you know, the, the toolkit's there. Um, you know, like I said, it's like Fallout, but it's just a lot easier. Uh, it's really intuitive. You can build a standard four-sided building with a floor and a roof and some traps and a door probably in a minute. I mean, you know, people who've been experienced in the game will be able to do it in 30 seconds. So, you know, imagine trying to do that in Fallout 4. I don't think there'd be any chance. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, the potential's there. I, I'm looking forward to seeing how the community develops it because that's probably what will make the game live or die. If the community's there, it'll always get better and better, whereas if not, it'll probably just die a slow death. And yet, you know, really, I think the reason I wanted to talk about it on this podcast is because I think it's going to get the backing it needs. And I'm 
keen to say so, even though I'm also keen to say, you know, don't necessarily buy it now. Give it a try first. If you like it, then get on board. Uh, if not, you know, I think I'm pretty certain it's going to move forwards quite quickly. Uh, do you think inevitably it might head towards that free-to-play market like most of these kind of games sometimes tend to do? Um, possibly, yeah. It's definitely a good candidate for that because there's very little in the base package that isn't additional content anyway. So most of the characters I've got access to are because they're in the Founders Edition <laughs> uh, and not because they're in the base game. So it's definitely, yeah, you know, the Evolve model, I guess, is what you're talking about there, where they started off with it as a full price, then they moved to the premium. Right. Uh, oh, sorry, not premium, uh, budget price, and then now it's free, I believe. So, yeah, it's they'll definitely be making more money on the DLC once the game's well-established. And I guess they just want the uh, initial... 50 quid or $60 or whatever it is, wherever you live. Um, and that's not just you, George. I mean, whoever's listening, you know, 70 euros or whatever it is, that's definitely to help them get this thing off the ground because it is going to need some work. Um, but I do think, again, if that work happens, it'll be in a good place. Cool. So that was uh, Fortnite. Uh, obviously, that was the first thing out of Epic for a long time. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's available now. Uh, so next topic is... Uh, big old discussion topic from Terry and an important one I suppose it's always relevant it's been relevant for well probably decades now realistically emulation do you want to take it away lead on Terry yeah so I mean obviously like you say emulation is a is a big old topic and it's been around for many many years um I think my 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 real point that I'm trying to make in this particular instance though is is how quickly emulators seem to be turning around now so um so for example yesterday i played hey pikmin on my pc that's a current game that has only been out a couple of weeks if that and i was able to play it for free on my pc i'm not going to get into the legalities of the whole thing but it's just the fact that i mean i agree with emulation in such in such instances as uh, conservation, because a lot of these old games you're not going to be able to buy in any way, shape, or form ever again. So emulation is going to be the only way you're going to be able to play these games, especially going back to 8-bit computer times. Like Spectrum tapes are going to degrade, and you know they've already started to die. I mean, early CD-ROM titles have already started to degrade over years, so getting original ones of them is not possible anymore. But I mean, being able to play something new, I just, I just, I think that's a bit wrong. To be honest, uh, I, I can completely agree with you. I mean, when I, when I heard that, uh, for instance, the Nintendo Switch was going to be on cartridges, I was a little bit afraid for them because I'm like, when I think of cartridges, I mean, I don't know exactly what it takes to emulate these types of games, but I was kind of afraid for them. And then I heard that uh, Breath of the Wild was immediately, I think it was like a week after it came out. It was already on the PC available to be played. Uh, yeah, I mean that that was a slightly different situation because it was a it was a dual console release, so it wasn't the Switch being emulated; it was the Wii U being emulated. And obviously, uh, uh, Zelda came out on the Wii U, right. and they had and they had that running. So, I mean, I mean, I think the the problem that Nintendo's always got when it comes down to emulation is that they're always behind the curve on hardware. Like I remember back in the day. Uh, there was uh, a Game Boy Advance emulator 
available to download and use before the console released in the UK. It was that quick that it came out, you know, sort of almost straight away. And I mean, you know, even even with the Switch, emulating an ARM processor is not complicated. They could probably emulate it pretty well. You'd need a fair bit of power, but you could probably do it fairly easy. And that's that's the thing that I ha- I sort of have an issue with, especially because I just think you know the developers of these things fine conservation efforts that's fine you want to get it done when it's it's fresh in everyone's mind so you can get all the hardware details you need fine but don't release it you know keep it hidden away for a while until it's you know it's it's no longer relevant then go ahead emulate away I I play old games on my PC every single day. But I just think, you know, having having it instantly available to, to for everyone to play for basically free is a bit iffy in my mind. I mean, yeah, that that's just a given. I mean, that's that's just that that hurts the developer. That hurts the publisher. It's just it's not good for anybody when you're playing new games that like just like that came out. It's it's just wrong essentially. There's really not any kind of I don't, I couldn't think of a moral ground to stand on. Where that makes it okay suddenly just be playing a game that came out. Yeah, I mean, even even a lot of emulation websites for for a long while, when after the Wii came out, they actually stopped hosting a lot of Nintendo ROMs purely because Nintendo were selling them. They became you know viable, sellable products again. So the ROMs were taken off of a lot of I wouldn't say legitimate emulation sites because none of them are, are technically legitimate, but they were taken down from the 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 better emulation sites because they know that it, you know that it were products being sold. But so I I think the the same thing should happen with the emulators themselves. Make them by all means, but keep them hidden and just release them later. Now, I do actually have a problem with that because I mean, there's two ways you can look at this. Uh, one, yes, they are new viable products, but they're old as hell. I mean, it's like literally taking a dusty rock and say hey i'm gonna sell this to you <laughs> it's um, great it's new yeah and and then it's just it comes off as really just like they're just trying to get every penny out of people but i mean it's say it also works because they're coming out with the snes classic they're coming out with the uh, nes classic and selling out like crazy yeah i mean i, I completely agree i mean i i don't agree with the prices that Nintendo sell their virtual console games for. Certainly not. They're way too expensive for, for what they are. And I'll get to this in a minute. There's an interesting story about that. I'll, I'll come back to it. But, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at it from a, from a legal standpoint, you know, old games that you can't really buy anywhere anymore, it's still technically illegal, but it's a bit of a grey area. No one's going to really lose out. But when they're actually still selling the games, then that is straight up you're, you're you know you're you're copying. No matter how what the prices are and things like that. Yes, I don't agree with them, but it is still you're getting something that is currently purchasable for free. I uh, I I it's a grey area. It's a big grey area, and obviously getting games that have just become available because there's a difference. Uh, between emulation and piracy isn't there and i suppose really when you're yes when when you're emulating something that is still technically being printed then that's that's definitely more so piracy whereas i would say that a game that is two or three generations old even if it is back in print is is possibly much 
further into that gray area you know i mean there's the 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 thing with emulation is you know there is a uh, i suppose a black area as it were which is downright piracy and then there's obviously a gray area which is everything in the middle and there is no white area really there's no area where everyone says yeah yeah sure just get it and grab it unless it goes completely freeware or you know I mean, I think EA released a couple of the Command and Conquers completely for free, and a couple of people have given stuff up to the web web archive. But like the vast majority of stuff is is generally looked down upon, even and and it gets it gets strange and it gets awkward when you have like Sega and Nintendo are re-releasing, and I suppose Namco really are re-releasing their older titles. How many times do people buy them? I mean, how many times have we bought? dragon's lair and how many items in my house run doom and you know at, at what point does that become a become an issue no i, I mean i oh, was there going go on george go ahead oh i was gonna say was is that uh, i mean there was two things i wanted to say was one you mentioned like the sites uh were taking down the games and i think that's not necessarily out of you know, honoring Nintendo. I think that was because they were afraid of Nintendo. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, yeah, that that is certainly possible. But I mean, like I say, it was only some of the websites, some of the some of the more what you might call mainstream sites, which I suppose would put them closer into the the, the sites of Nintendo. But it it was only some of them, so it wasn't all of them, and and no one has ever really got hit for doing roms except some some sites have been hit for ds roms when the flash carts were uh massively popular but yeah interestingly enough so i'll just it's a it's a bit of an aside but i'll it, it fits into this uh topic so super mario brothers when it was released on the wii virtual console no one really batted an eyelid it was an old nes game they were doing that thing it's 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 all good bit further on down the line people started to rip out virtual console games and replace the roms inside of them with other games so you know they was only releasing a certain amount of nes games but people were able to get them and flip them out and and change what roms were in them one of the groups that found out how to do this actually dissected the super mario brothers uh, virtual console game and the rom file inside of it had a header attached to the the rom which actually came from the Nesticle emulator. <laughs> so the version that you were paying money for on the Nintendo Wii was actually an illegally downloaded ROM file. That's hilarious. That's so <laughs> hilarious. Wow. Because basically Nesticle was, I think it was pretty much the first NES emulator and ROM images had to have this special header to make them even run. So there's no way that this header was ever there. And it actually said sort of NES CC or something like that. It was a header that was only on Nesticle-based ROMs. So there's no way Nintendo used a legit ROM. They just downloaded that from somewhere. So I, well, I, 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 my final point in this, uh, really, sorry to interrupt. That's right. My final point, I'm going to bounce off of what Dan said, is uh, you know how many people have downloaded Dragon Slayer? How many people have you know, downloaded these games? And I think the fact of the matter is when it comes to you know emulation, these are fans of these games. These are not people who have malicious intent. These are people who love these games and are willing to probably actually spend money to buy these games on multiple systems because they love these games that much. So I think, like I said, it's completely, when it comes to that kind of thing, it is a gray area, but ultimately these people are willing to buy that product. You know, They're willing to buy it on the Wii U. They're willing to have it on multiple systems because they love these games that much. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've I've emulated since. I mean, I remember Nesticle coming out back in the day, and I remember uh, Genesis, the very very first Mega Drive emulator coming out way back in the day. So I've been I've been doing it for absolutely years and i mean it's it's not just a case of you know i'm I'm quite happy to to buy games when i can but especially now when retro games especially certain types of games are so ridiculously expensive because that that retro gaming bubble has expanded and it's 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 almost mainstream now the retro gaming thing you know and you see games for going you know four or five hundred pounds and you're like oh, i'm just gonna download a rom <laughs> You know, it's, at that point, I mean, at that point, I don't. I mean, yes, it is still piracy. I don't see an issue with it though, because at that point, you're you're paying that money to another person. That money's not going to the developer or the publisher or anything. They're not making anything out of it. It's just going to some greedy seller. So I don't I don't see a problem with it. And also, play, playing the games from other regions is always fun. And games you missed out on when you when you first got there. It's it's like I say, it's fine if it's old. I just don't agree with emulating new stuff i do it just just to see if it works more than anything but i mean i don't i don't keep new stuff generally unlike the old stuff which i hoard like mad anyways scalpers are the worst i i i mean in, in, you know it's 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 an interesting topic because it, it's who do you blame in this situation i mean yes they're charging you know 500 you know whatever region you live in how much they're over let's just say crazy prices but at the same time you have to point a slight finger at Nintendo and say, hey, if you provided more, this kind of crap wouldn't happen. I mean, yeah, tr- true enough. Uh, yeah, especially when you're talking about things like the NES Classic and things like that. I mean, they say, they say Nintendo's always done it. And they kind of have, I mean, people are still going on about how they're, you know, they're, they're purposely keeping back the Switches so they get the hype goes bigger. They're not. Nintendo are going mad trying to make as damn many as possible as they can because it's it's it has legitimately become more popular than they thought it would be. The NES Classic, you could make the argument that maybe that did get a lot more popular than they thought it would be, but I think with the Nintendo with the NES Classic, you can you can blame them because they never really said from the outset that it was going to be limited edition. That was something that came later. So I think with the SNES Classic, it's gonna the, the problem's still going to be there because there are scumbag resellers all over the world. But Nintendo Absolutely. have already said they're going to make a lot more, and they've said up front that it's going to be limited edition. So there's not, I mean, yeah, you, you, there's not much to moan about this time. Nintendo have been up front about it this time. There's going to be this many units. It's only coming out once. Get it and it's gone. Fair enough, so, fair enough. That's... Sounds fair. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, they they dropped the ball with the NES Classic. Seriously, I, th- I to be honest though, I do think it surprised them. I mean, yes, they've done the Virtual Console and things like that, but I did. I I honestly think that Nintendo didn't think a new piece of specific hardware with very specific games built in would be that popular. Because Nintendo are sort of a bit behind the times when it comes to that. They don't realise the legacy that they've pretty much built. But, I mean, how could they not realize it? It's Nintendo. These people don't show up for E3. They pretty much always start their own trends. They know they have to know. They, they're Nintendo. Well, that's the, the, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's almost one of the... Because people always say that Nintendo don't really know what they're doing and they're behind the times on that kind of thing. And I, and I think in a lot of the cases that is true. It's like 
Everyone loves Nintendo, especially Americans, George. Don't, don't, don't make me bring that up because it that's, wasn't actually that possible. The NES wasn't actually that popular in the UK whatsoever. And there was never a crash. So, but that's another story for another day. Um, but yeah, I, I, Master I legitimately... system rules. <laughs> Indeed it does, Dan. Indeed it does. But yeah, uh, I think Nintendo legitimately don't understand the legacy that they've built. And that's why they keep making these these rash decisions. I mean, it's it's the same kind of thing. Where I mean, it's it's definitely changing now. That you know, the young guard is coming in now, and 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 things are changing. And that shows. You know, last year they went. Here's a Metroid game. Ha ha! It's not the one you want. It's a crappy little three player co op <laughs> thing. Uh, and everyone went, uh, no. So this year we went. Oh, here's Metroid. Oh, and another Metroid. Here you go. Is these what you want? And everyone was happy. So they're starting to listen and they're starting to understand. But I think that that has come around because they're changing the back end of of their business. They're getting the younger people in, the people who actually understand what's going on. They're getting rid of the old and in with the new. And I think it's good. And it is working. The Switch is going gangbusters. So they're, they're in a good place. Def, definitely a good topic. Definitely something we could discuss far uh, more, obviously. Yeah. Nintendo's always a, a great subject. So, Yeah. And it wasn't on the running order. We wasn't even meant to discuss that, but we did. So there you go. It's a bonus. <laughs> so next up, we've got Toby is going to talk a little oh, bit yeah. about Player Unknown Battlegrounds. And you seem to have about three different topics listed actually yes. under it, which is pretty cool, and for good reason. I mean, it's been quite a popular game. Uh, I'm hoping to pick it up at some point once I've sold enough Steam cards. Uh, but yes, take take the wheel. All right. Well, the first off, we have that it has broken five hundred thousand concurrent players on Steam. That it's it is now the number two game on Steam, just below Dota. And if I just bring up Steam Spy. With realistic tapping sounds. Yep. <laughs> See here, as 6.3 million owners on Steam, that it came out like a two months ago, oh, March. So it is blown up in every way. Yeah, it never ceases to amaze me how much you know. I, I caught a Call of Duty. These people just love people just love shooting each other. It's like yeah. crazy. But this is organic, and it's. It's much better than any first-person shooter I've played before. That it's just completely random. That the only benefit you get is your skill in shooting and maybe where you pick to land. Well, the whole thing is you're on a plane over an island. You jump down, you go to buildings, you find guns and ammo, and you try and kill each other. That's the core thing. Just kill everyone else. It's just this really super simple idea of just kill other people. It just works so well. Now it's got over six million people buying it. It uh, it seems to be a culmination of that uh, kind of Daisy PvP PVE that then became the battle royale games, yeah. uh, like the Culling and various other ones like Ark and and this has no crafting in it. I understand this is just like this is like refined, finessed military battle royale. Yeah, no crafting. You just pick up a gun on the floor. You can use that gun. You pick up. A helmet you can use, a helmet done, no crafting. There is um, loot crates that you can buy, but that's just items and clothes and stuff which are cosmetic. You can get the points from just winning rounds. And the next thing was that the stream sniping, which has been 
been a bit of an issue. There's, I think, StarCraft has had some of those issues over the years, I believe. Anyone know about... It has, yes. StarCraft, and I'm sure there was something else as well. I can't remember if it was Counter-Strike or something else. Uh, possibly one of the MOBAs. But, but yeah, someone was watching somebody else's stream uh, while playing against them, and although there was a little bit of a delay, there was enough that they could completely undermine uh, their opposition's tactics. And yeah. yeah, Even if you're a minute behind, you can get an idea of their ammo and what guns they have and even where they're moving to. What I don't understand about this, though, is that how are they going to monitor this? How can they prove that someone was watching someone else's stream? That's what I, I don't get. How... They can't. The main way they're doing it is by a popular streamer saying, hey, this person was stream sniped me, and then a ton of people go and harangue and get angry, and that's the main method. It's a bit of a lynch mob, currently. Which but, is, but really. I suppose there's, you know, he he himself would probably not have any proof unless the person's got the same username on Twitch as the game and and things like that. So he could he could just it's like what was it where they riot people? They could just be just oh this player killed me, so in revenge I'm going to say oh he stream start me and then get him booted off the game. If there's yeah. no proof, it's just going to end up with trolling happening. Yeah, there is a bit of oh, this person killed me, and you want to make it seem like you're better, and oh, they use this, which is fine, that's a natural human concept, but then turning that into attacking someone else and actually hurting their online reputation just to make you seem like you're a better player, that's really too far. It's like a screen-watching version of swatting. Oh, sorry, well, it's it's the, the dangers and the the risk and the immaturity of swatting combined with the old uh, sitting on the sofa next to someone and accusing them of screen watching, but with a big, you know, mob behind you, essentially. Yeah. Right. And that's what I think is kind of ridiculous about this because it is essentially, you know, sitting into the couch next to somebody, but you never really like got angry at your friend and threw them outside of your house. You just laughed and you had a slap fight. This is just seems like it's just gone too far. It's so ridiculous. I, mm. I can't believe this entire uh, sniping thing. It's so ridiculous. It has created something very hilarious, though. What is it? It is stream honking, where now there are cars which are, you have horns now in PUBG, so people are watching streamers, getting in the same game as them, and getting a car and just driving around them for the rest of the game honking, which I think is just hilarious. People are crazy. My God. <laughs> There's no strange, benefit but... to it. Yeah, it's just it's just mucking about, isn't it? It's yeah, a bit of fun. But I suppose that isn't fun if the other person's taking it deadly seriously. Which which really is is, is I mean, you get that in every multiplayer game, don't you? You get the people messing around, yeah, dolphin diving in Call of Duty and surrounding mm. people with shields, you know, and uh, as yeah, I suppose it's it's just waiting for somebody to be honking and someone else to shoot the person who's honking in the car and then they get kicked off the server because of this and that and team killing and yeah games that that is one thing i do kind of want to ask is it's very interesting is about player unknown battlegrounds is that it seems like it was lightning in a bottle because we have had games like the calling and similar games like it you know it's kind of like a daisy whatever it was called similar in style a little bit more open world but this game is lightning in a bottle i just wonder what it did to make itself so unique and different 
it just caught on so fast. I'm guessing it's just the guy's name behind it. I'm guessing that's all it is. Partially, I think it's just this completely refined idea, as Dan was saying, that it's just, it got all the boxes ticked, it got rid of all the unnecessary stuff, it's just the core mechanics, and people loved it. Yeah, I, I mean, the culling, uh, the, t- the culling was a really good game. It was tense, you know, and it had that battle rear. I really thought the culling was going to be this massive thing. I don't doubt that it's still doing well. So, yeah, the, the culling obviously had a bit of a sense of humor about it, and it also had a strange crafting system to it where you just grab random things off the ground and rub them together. You, you weren't just rummaging through lockers to try and get these cool items that were in there. Uh, where there were kind of, you know, you had machine guns and you had big machetes and you had explosives you could throw at people. But then it also had the kind of talking comedy suit and it had the crafting stuff. And, and, and while it shares a lot of similarities with Player Unknown, Player Unknown does, like Toby just reiterated, it refines it. It's it's military and I suppose pure, and they're adding to it slowly as well. I understand. Yeah, they have monthly patches, and like yesterday, there was some bug which meant there was lag, and within six or seven hours, they had a patch out, and they're they're working very quickly. Like they came out a week ago with a new gun, like a new Mark fourteen, I believe, or something, and they just keep adding new stuff. There's a whole new two maps, like two maps of this like easily a couple of square kilometers and it they just keep going. Yeah, for sure. I mean it, but you know the culling doesn't compare to what was it? you said five million or six million. There's six just million. you can't it's ridiculous. I mean that that's a you can't predict these kinds of things and I mean Player Unknown Battlegrounds is quite phenomenal for and it's 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 all about word of mouth, I think. That's what another thing. It just it kind of just picked up and blew up. And everybody wants to play it now, and it's just become this 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 train that's just plowing through everything. <laughs> we should definitely maybe one day like all purchase it, and then we can all play it together, and then just absolutely do horrible as we all get slaughtered. <laughs> that would be fun, but I think there's a maximum of five, possibly. There's five people here. There we go. There is indeed. But to be fair, you probably won't catch me playing it because I cannot do online shooters at all. <laughs> oh, I'm absolutely terrible at them as well. But you know, it sounds like it'd be, it's definitely a, a game that you want to play with your friends. I mean, that's that's kind of like the baseline of it. It gets very fun with just mucking about with friends. You don't even have to be very good at shooters. You can do okay-ish as someone who just sneaks around and maybe might hide up and shotgun someone, but then just hides again. You don't need to run around with your assault rifle and shoot everyone you see. I mean, from what I've seen, you can just run around beating people to death with frying pans. Yes. Still make it, you know, fairly high up there in the scores. Okay, that's it. Frying pan death. I'm sold. I'm going to get it. <laughs> frying pans are go. very dangerous. I'll make sure to put frying pans on my uh, on my list of features when it comes to developing a game uh, <laughs> just to make sure that I capture the Terry audience. There you go. Yep. Get Terry Crews in your game. That's ten. It's definitely a game that's probably not going to stop, uh, you know, for quite a while. I think it's going to be popular, probably well into next year. Mm-hmm. And we'll, we'll see what the next big thing is. But that currently, right now, it's definitely Player Unknown Battlegrounds. I believe they're looking at getting it, getting it into esports, which should be fairly interesting. See how that works. Yeah, I don't see how that would work at all. 
I mean, it is early, it's early access, that's kind of the main problem, but there's also a lot of randomness. But, sure. I mean, I mean, is it really early access at this point, if it's at six million? I mean... Yes. <sighs> All it right. very buggy, and you'll phase through stuff, textures won't oh, work. okay. The network code is very shoddy. I mean, they're working on it, but it's still... I don't know how you can get a game to work, get the servers to support so many people playing. There's nothing wrong with them, it's just it's grown so much, they're going to have to spend a lot of time working, getting it feeling nice and smooth. And as I was saying before, that a 1080 can get maybe high settings, possibly. They have to oh. do a lot of refining on it. That's the issue they had when they first started making the dedicated DayZ game, didn't they? When Rocketworks started working on that. Uh, yeah. It was really unoptimized. I mean, I don't even know what that's doing now. I didn't I didn't actually buy that, but it, it sounds very much like this has overtaken that. Uh, and obviously Ark stole away a few people from there as well. So this game's like £25, £26, £33? £30, dollars. whatever that is over there. So US dollars, 6 million people. Yeah, they're, they're rolling around in their money right now while they're developing the game. <laughs> I hope they're putting it to get juice. Probably not. They're just buying every <laughs> server they can get their hands on. They've got a network farm, just every laptop they can find, just to support this. Uh, computer chairs made out of solid gold. And <laughs> <laughs> that too. So yeah, Player Unknown Battlegrounds, the big sensation at the minute, most definitely. And Toby, you've got the next topic as well, uh, which is Battlestar Galactica Deadlock. Yes. Is, you've just done a preview of it for the site. Yes, I uh, have. It's due out at the end of the month, I believe. It is? Oh, wow. It is. I'm excited for that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with the, was it, summer 2017, I just go sometime in the future. But yes, Battlestar Galactica, it is... While it's not what you'd expect from a Battlestar game, which would be more politics or sitting in the cockpit of a Viper shooting down or romance and mystery, it is still, it somehow still works despite being nothing like, well, it's strategy. So you've got a 2D flat board and then you have your turn-based ships. You click, okay, I want to move this one here and turn and then fire on this one. And it works brilliantly. It's a very simple uh, intuitive way of moving ships around and getting these great big set pieces which just look beautiful from just moving little things around on a board. Is it more of a board game or is it like an RTS game? It would probably work pretty well as a board game actually. If you, That could be actually very interesting. That Yeah, it is. You move them around, you have your turn. Okay, I want to move this one this many places and then use this ability, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So you put your pieces, like, I want to go here, and then you say end turn, and it plays like five seconds, and then you have your next turn. So when does it all take place? Give us a bit of history on the game here. Okay, it is set in the first Cylon War uh, during a deadlock, per the name's game, the game's name, between the Colonial and Cylon forces. It is set before Blood and Chrome, I think. But it's when they first get the Jupiter class, aka Battlestar Galactica, Battlestars out. And it's 
really early on. So there's a lot of new content, there's a lot of new ships designed, and they're really weaving it into the universe of the show. That there's an Admiral uh, Lucinda Kane, and there was some I can't remember their name, but there was an Agathon who appeared at some point. So that's really nice that it weaves into this maybe their parents or the grandparents of people you see on the show. So it takes place probably like sometime probably like way a little bit probably after Caprica. Yeah, um forty years I think it is. Forty years before the show. I mean that's kinda of cool that they're still making games about Battlestar Galactica. It's been how long since the show was on? Like it's still kind of relevant. It's still trying to, you know, chugging along there. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, six or seven years since it ended, I think. Something like that. Makes you wonder if they're going to make a new show or what they have planned oh, for that IP. Just put me in the cockpit of a Viper and let me fly around and I will be happy forever. It does seem like a bit of an old license without, you know, you know, changing the subject ever so slightly from the game. But it's, it does seem like a bit of an old license to just have laying around. I can't think of many Battlestar games. I've seen, I'm sure I've seen board games of it. Uh, but but it's really something that hasn't been used considering the TV show had, as you said earlier, politics, combat, space combat, subterfuge, you know? Yeah, there was a a, a, freemium, uh, sorry, a free game that I found a while ago, but I've not seen any other actual proper video games for it. it actually took the license and went with it. So it's quite nice to see a bit of fresh life poured into this. It's nice that they've, they've taken the time and they've put the effort in, and that you can tell that it, it, they care, which is really good. Dan, you forgot to mention all these sexy, sexy Cylons, by the way. That, that's a major selling point here. <laughs> Get your own number six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, nudie, nudie Cylon things uh, <laughs> i mean that's that's definitely a thing as well I'm, I'm just surprised that there hasn't been a big first person shooter that would be very interesting playing like, maybe a marine maybe yeah yeah i mean well, that, and i hate to be the devil's advocate here but that sounds awful i mean <laughs> the beautiful part of a Battlestar galactica is that it's in space there's ships and you know explosions are happening you know <laughs> you, you i don't know that though but um, what was it? The, the the Star Trek Voyager. They had the the first person shooters, and they were Delta Force. Fantastic. Delta Force. They're the ones. They were fantastic games. Yeah, but that's, against, that's against Borg and stuff. And with Battlestar Galactica, it's a lot more space. That I don't really think in the show. Apart from really like a few times on ground, you never really see sounds. It's all in space with big cannons and vipers and raiders. Those you know amazing, what, amazing shots. You know what I think I would be an amazing idea if they handed Battlestar Galactica to Telltale. I think they could oh. do some really good storytelling there. That could be very interesting. That is good, but at the same time, Telltale. I mean, they they're very good at sort of the the drama based stuff, but they do a lot better when they can inject a bit of comedy into their stories. So, can we uh, possibly take another sci-fi TV show which has been ridiculously unrepresented in the video game world and let Telltale make uh-huh. a Red Dwarf game. Fi-Fi. Huzzah! Nah, Red Dwarf. Red Dwarf. That's what we want. <laughs> that was <laughs> a Fi-Fi game a while ago. There was. I backed that. Like, I went full in on backing that. What happened to it? 
a Red Dwarf game could be pretty cool if handled by Telltale, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, th- that show had so much comedy and it, it, it kind of continually fouls to relaunch properly. Uh, it doesn't have the same pace now, I think, because everyone behind it's getting a bit older and because the world's changed a lot. It's still good. It's still good now, but it never seems to have the same uh, the same velocity as it had when it did at the start. It always feels like they're trying to add too much story into it or they're trying to do too much here and there. But I still always watch it every time it re-airs and yeah. I'd still play a Telltale series of Red Dwarf. Definitely, and it'll be the best time to do it now as well because obviously, you know, Series 12 is around the corner. It starts up again in a few weeks' time. You could have all the original voice actors, you know, all the original actors doing the voices and make it feel exactly like the TV show. And I think it'd work brilliantly. And the new series looks incredible, by the way, from screenshots that I've seen. Yeah, but I mean, what aspect could they explore in a game that they haven't necessarily done in the show? That's where I think bringing it back to Battlestar Galactica is because that's such a, a, an expansive universe that there is more stories to tell that, that they could just create, you know, right off their heads if they wanted. Whereas something like Red Dwarf, you know, it's, it's been fairly explored. Am I wrong? Yeah, you could easily have another ship. You had the Pegasus, which suddenly got involved. You could, hey, something else survived and went off in its own different direction. And you never see anything with the actual Galactica. Just do your own thing. They could do. Plus, obviously, what you've got to think of is that is that Telltale made a, a story-based game out of Minecraft. They can make a story out of anything. They could just do it. <laughs> well, you have a point, yeah. Red, Red Dwarf's got enough, you know, lore. There's been, you know, there's been Red Dwarf books and all that kind of things that have explored other stories that have never been on the TV. So there's there's endless amounts of stuff they could do. I mean, actually, I, I think I think that uh, Battlestar is probably a smaller universe uh, than the Red Dwarf one because Red Dwarf messes around with comedy in the same way that Futurama versus uh, The Simpsons or, I suppose, random sitcom because they're so willing to mess around with time and space and various other dimensions. It's actually got more that you can mess around with. Battlestar is very much like, hey, look, there's a bunch of humans who have somehow survived and all these robots kind of want to kill them. But actually, do they? Yeah, yeah, they no, yeah, but then there's these other ones that look like, yeah, but then you've got the, you know? Uh, so, I don't know. I don't think there's much more to Battlestar unless it literally moves forwards or backwards in the timeline. I don't think it can go sideways because of the way that it exists. I may be completely wrong. Uh, I've already, I actually realised while we were all talking, I have already played a Battlestar Galactica shooting game and it was Binary Domain, which was absolutely outstanding. Like Terry said, I think he has an excellent point in the fact that they can pretty much make a game out of anything. That's pretty much... Uh... Telltale's kind of amazing in that fashion, so it's kind of a, a moot point. <laughs> Definitely, touche. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that 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 kind of point really won the argument there. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I, I, I think win. Next subject. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, Battlestar Galactica Deadlock and and a lot of Red Dwarf and Telltale talk actually as well, which is cool. Uh, Okay, so the final topic is Sundered, which George has been playing and I believe is out now. It kickstarted recently. It's from the same developers who made Jotun, which was another similarly hand-drawn art-style game, although it was isometric versus side-on. Uh, tell us a little bit more about it, George. Oh, oh my goodness. I, I, I have an entire review coming, which will probably do a lot more better than I'm going to do right now, but there's a lot to say about Sundered. 
Um, the primary thing I wanted to bring up about Sundered is that we were talking, kind of like about, we were talking about this before our official first podcast. I was talking about, talking about difficulty in video games. And Sundered is a game that unfortunately did not, for me, and I will say underline that again, because a lot of people like this game for good reason. But for me, it just, it missed out on what real difficulty is. And the problem with it, and I'll explain to you what exactly it is, is that they have this thing called the horde system. And you'll hear kind of like, a, almost kind of like Silent Hill, you hear this klaxon sound, this, this, this loud alarm noise, and then suddenly the screen will be rushed by, you know, uh, you know, 30 or 20 monsters. It depends on, you know, where you are in the game and how deep you are. But then suddenly you're just rushed with monsters, and they're, fly, they're all faster than you, first off and foremost. And it makes it so difficult to actually have any kind of skillful combat that you end up, even if you try to dodge out of the way, you just dodge into another enemy. And as I put it kind of in my review, it, it's literally, it's not that you make a mistake, it's a death by a thousand cuts. And it's just, so, it's a combat system that I just, it didn't click with me, but so many people seem to be enjoying it. So I don't know what exactly it is I missed there. If it is something that's just, maybe I, I didn't get kind of, I didn't get the right angle on, but it, it's definitely something I wanted to bring up because I think there's a way to do a difficult game the right way, and I think there's a way to do it the wrong way. And when I look at games like Hollow Knight, Hollow Knight nailed a difficult game. It was almost perfect. I'm not sure, you know, if you guys played it or seen it, but it just nailed the way that a game should be difficult because it's skill-based, whereas this one was just, it was a mess is the best way I could put it. Maybe saying it was a mess is a bit harsh. It was, um, it was just not exactly what I was expecting, and it's something because it's ninety percent of the game, you know, ninety eight percent of the game is, is the combat aspect to it. It just completely turned me off, and it, it's it's a matter of when, when I play a video game, I play a video game to feel like the hero, like the action star, you know, the guy who's jumping backwards and shooting and and kicking, you know, but. But in in Sundered, it, it it definitely made me feel like I wasn't a hero. It felt like it celebrated its monsters more than it did its its main hero, which is you, the player. And it's just something that is it's very strange and something I thought would be interesting to bring up. I got a similar vibe from the game as I did Dead Cells. Uh, both of them were talking about how you had to get to certain points to unlock new abilities or new methods of getting about. And similarly, they were uh, talked about regularly about their combat and about how they handled enemies. But the more that you kind of talk about the game, the more separate the two of them seem. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, there, there, there's a, a lot of difference between Dead Cells and uh, um, Sundered quite a bit, where, you know, Dead Cells is definitely more of a, a kind of like a straightforward game. I think it's a lot more of a... Replayability to there's a lot more just you kind of go 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 go, killing monsters and I, I actually comparatively I felt way more powerful I felt more of like a badass in uh, Dead Cells than I do far more in, in less in Sundered. Sundered you just it's it's a very large expansive game, and what basically happens is, is as you start fighting more and more monsters you start collecting these shards and these shards you just and, and basically spend up spend on passives like you know upgrading your attack or defense so eventually you do kind of catch up but it's not because you catch up because you're so skillful as a player it's just because you have a certain amount of numbers behind you suddenly and 
when it, and that I think that's kind of a major problem because where if you look at games like Dark Souls or something like that, even if you didn't have the numbers in Dark Souls, you could still make progress. You could still be like really, you know, hit your dodges right and do this and that to get ahead, even if you didn't have those numbers behind you. The numbers certainly helped, but you were still capable of making progress. Where in Sundered, it's just it was it was a very it was for me a very frustrating game because it didn't seem to matter what you were doing that because of the horde system, you know, 20 monsters come onto the screen and they're faster than you. They're going to kill you eventually, you know, death by a thousand cuts is again, what I have to say. And that, that kind of death by a thousand cuts, the, the way that you, the way that you mentioned it, uh, it reminded me, and I don't know if it remind I don't know if it reminded Terry, uh, of, Heart of Darkness, which was a which was a game, I think it was by the guy who did the guy who did Another World, Eric Chahi, who then did From Dust. Was, but, is that uh, a PlayStation game? Yeah, it was the PS One. I think it was a launch title. It was on two discs, yeah, which at the time it's everyone crazy. was like, "Wow, that's nuts!" And you had the weird alien guy that was like Acrobat. I can't remember what he was called. Yeah. But yeah, and it was all a dream, and you had a dog, uh, and you had a weird Tesla laser and you basically just had to paint the edge of the screen while simultaneously trying to just generally run forward you're always trying to run forward so it felt a little bit like another world if rather than you know stepping on things instantly killing you horribly not moving in the right direction instantly killed you horribly by these horrible shadowy things that would all kind of leer out and try and grab you and try and pull you in and then the second they pretty much landed a landed a touch or they i suppose got far enough across the screen you you were dead you know and and the whole kind of death by a thousand cuts is each one registering as a hit on you or is it really a case that it's just a bigger swarm is forming because you're not killing them fast enough and then then you succumb to it well i mean it's it's definitely it's it's probably a little bit of that for sure because what happens is is that the enemies there's no spatial awareness so the enemies kind of just stack up on top of each other so one hits you and then it might be actually like four or five that hit you all at once and you just didn't notice. Um, so it, it does create a situation where ju- in the name of progress, you know, similar to you know, things we've probably all done playing Dark Souls, if we've all played Dark Souls here, is that you, you kind of just run around enemies as fast as you can just so you can actually make some freaking progress. And I, I want to save some, you know, surprises for the review, but that, that's definitely one thing, that another thing that kind of uh, turned me off about the game is that you end up, end up just kind of just running past enemies as fast as you can just so you can actually make progress. And it just turned me off to the combat even more. But, you know, again, there's a lot of people who do like this game, so I do want to underline that I did like Sundered for plenty of reasons, and there is plenty of great qualities to the game, but the combat just did not click with me. So am I I right in thinking that this is a procedurally generated game? Uh, Yes, to a certain extent. uh, There is... Uh, basically, uh, there's this huge kind of like Metroidvania map, and there's key locations for certain things like bosses, powers, uh, you know, certain event areas are, are fixed locations. But between those areas, there's what I like what I call procedural blocks, and then those procedural blocks are filled with procedural rooms that change every time you die. So you have to go through those procedural rooms to get somewhere, and it, it, it's constantly changing which makes it also a little bit slow to get to certain places at times. It can get a little frustrating for sure. 
Yeah, so I, th- I think that's probably where the where the difficulty comes from. Because like Dan was saying, with the games like Heart of Darkness, and he mentioned Another World, and things like Flashback, and possibly even something like, oh, what is it? Uh, you know, it's different mechanics, but Dragon's Lair. Those games were very, very hard. But it was just a case of you learnt the steps. It was just like, okay, 20 seconds, press that button, then jump, then do this, then do that. And over time, you just learnt the game and you could get through it. But obviously, with a procedurally generated game, you're going to get uh, screwed pretty much every time. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. So it was. it's definitely uh, an example of just, I think there's, there's a certain way to do a, a hard game and there's a certain way not to do it. And... Um, yeah, that's kind of. I, I mean, I want to save the rest for the review, which uh, I will actually will be have hopefully up on the site sometime soon. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, I think that's actually the end of. I think that is the end of us, as it were, or the end of it. There is one uh, thing I did have. I did have <gasps> secret oh. news. Which oh, is, secret it was a thing that I want. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a little thing I wanted to bring up because I thought it was actually kind of hilarious and strange, if I may. Go crazy! It's George's yeah. secret topic. It's not. It's not necessarily a secret topic. It was just something that kind of just made me laugh. It was um, you guys have all heard of Dream Daddy, you know, the game where you know you you can date your dream dad, and it, we actually had a review on it on the site recently. We do indeed. Yeah, yeah, read that. Quite enjoyed the review. Quirky sounding game. Interesting sounding game. Well, I've heard that it, it did things well. Uh, oh yeah, one thing I I, I I didn't play it per se, but I did watch the person that played it and. Uh, it's a very real game, and it's very interesting how the relationships inside the game are very feel very real. The kind of the, the issues that they had, but what I thought was funny is that these uh, these data miners, these these file uh, searchers, basically found a secret ending in the game, where apparently one of the dream daddies turns out to be a cult leader, if believe it or not, <laughs> and they try to I think something to the extent of they try to sacrifice he was on Kotaku. And it just made me laugh. And apparently it gets so dark. Like they even like, apparently they cut out your daughter's eyes. You have a daughter in the game. They cut out her eyes. It's horrible. It is just like, you could totally just not match the narrative of the game. But it was just something that came out that I was just laughing my ass off about. That's pretty dark, to be honest, considering what I've heard about the the game. (laughs) Yeah, you can see why they kind of cut it out for sure. I mean, maybe, maybe you never know. Maybe the game started like that, and then they thought, "No, you know what? We quite like the bit where you, you, you know, you're kind of courting and meeting and and joking around with the with the dad instead. So let's uh, let's focus that. Just uh, just disconnect those files, and we'll just uh, you know add some mini games in and beef it out a little bit." Don't you hate it when you're dating somebody and they try out to be a cult leader and try to sacrifice you? <laughs> what? See, so what they should do is they should they should unlock that on Halloween, just just randomly. And then someone's you know, that's exactly Halloween, what I said. And then that's exactly go, what, the, what I said. What the hell is going on? <laughs> that's exa- that's funny that you mentioned that. This is exactly what I said when I found out about it. Like, this would make a wonderful Halloween DLC type of thing where all the dads turn out to be horrible murderers and such. But yeah, that's my bit of secret news. <laughs> it would be pretty interesting if, uh, I mean, this is a, it's a visual visual novel really but it's it also falls under the dating sim doesn't it so they never neither of those genres actually really ever receive additional content do they i mean on on steam i rarely see anything like that drummed up or or celebrated as receiving additional post-launch content you know well, they're I... never on the recently updated from what i from what i know of at least 
Well, I wouldn't necessarily call myself an expert on visual novels, but no, not usually. They don't. I mean, DLC is is not something you kind of see usually attached to a, a, a visual novel. Um, but I mean, it, it's definitely possible. I mean, it, it, and Dream Daddy has the has the marketing and the de- the developer behind it. The game the Game Grumps, you know, they have the name behind it. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if. If but you know these data miners are found, it is in the game. Whether it's already programmed in to do it on, say, a specific date, because games have done that before. It's not been DLC that you have to buy or download separately. It's just been there, like you know, games that you you turn on on Christmas Day and everyone's wearing Christmas hats or or something stupid. It might just be a case of it will unlock at some point, and it's not actually disconnected from the game. It just doesn't turn up for until a certain. Point. Oh yeah, I love it when developers actually do that. Um, there was a, a one shot, uh, which was like this this kind of somewhat like kind of like a, a walking simulator RPG game. Uh, but there was an event in the game that would not unlock until the spring solstice, and there was this huge clock there that was kind of ticking down till when the the spring solstice actually happened for you to access that area of the game. And I love it when developers do that kind of thing. And that's come to the end of the first inaugural episode of Big Boss Babble. So it's goodbye from me, Trench J, from Dan. Bye. From George. Bye and telltale. Yes, telltale. And from Toby. Goodbye. Unfortunately, Matthew left us earlier. We're not sure why, but he'll be back next week, hopefully. So goodbye from us all and we'll see you next time. (laughs) 